This is Coda Radio, episode 64, for August 26th, 2013. You're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy.com, Ting.com, and UnitySync. I'll tell you more about those as the show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our always excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Привет, comrade Fisher. <laughs> Hello, are you calling from Russia? Yes, I am bunking with Edward Snowden. Uh, how are the accommodations over there? Good, but, you know, Ed's got a real cocaine problem. Whoa. Uh, well, the man has to stay awake scouring the news. Well, he's not scouring the news. He's something about blacking out all the windows and <laughs> boarding the doors. He's, he's, he's a little paranoid. I, you know, I, I don't know about the paranoia part, but as far as the cocaine part, I almost sympathize, sympathize this week. I've gotten to the point now where I am so tired, you just can't throw enough coffee at the problem. There's not I enough coffee out, coffee out there, and both you and I have been up since, like, forever. So this is Coda Radio Narcotics Edition today. <sighs> no, I don't think so. No, actually, I think one of the things we got to talk about is Bomber. Love Bomber. Whoa, whoa. According to, like, Coda Radio, like, I was going to go look this up before the show started and I failed. Right. But there was an episode not too long ago where I believe you said they should fire him. It was called, uh, actually, it was longer than I thought. It was episode 56. So uh, episode 56 on July 1st, Microsoft's in a funk. Right, because it was the New Year's show, wasn't it? July 1st? Oh, July is not January. Wow, no. it's going to be a great show. Yeah, good. We're going to be fired up. We're fired up. <clears throat> well, with good. thankfully, I didn't just agree with you, right? Because that would have been, that would have been yes. embarrassing. Peter, what happened? Yeah. So uh, this, I think that's one of the things we got to talk about. And then maybe we'll morph that conversation into a general discussion about leadership in open source projects. <gasps> uh, those damn hippies again, really? Well, they need their leaderships, too. They need their no, leaderships. I love the open source folks, especially the folks over at Docker. Right. Yeah, so you've been looking at Docker this week. I've been very Why are aggressive. you looking at Docker? Tell me. Uh, well, I, don't, I, don't, I suspect you here. What are you up to? What is what is the virtualization can't do for you, Mr. Dominic? In general, why am I looking at Docker? Yeah. Uh, how do I say this correctly? Deployment's a pain in the ass, right? Yeah, yeah. Deployment sucks. I hate deploying. Never want to deploy. In fact, I don't know why everybody can't just run on localhost and be happy. Makes perfect sense to me. So, uh, did Docker, you watch my? Did you watch my last episode on Docker? And did it inspire you? Sorry, what is the last? Oh, okay. No, I, that that's pretty old, though, right? I mean, Docker's changed a bit since then. I I don't know. I don't remember. It was a little while ago. Right. And well, there there are uh, relatively young projects, so they're also moving. Pretty quick. No, but it, all kidding aside, I mean they they tie into something I'm already using called Dot Cloud. Um, it's a way to even if you're not running all your stuff on the same infrastructure, kind of standardize what you're doing. And more importantly, it has a cute whale as a logo. Yeah, it makes it really easy to sort of like create your perfect environment and yeah. then make a template out of that and then redeploy that whenever you're ready. So what's really attractive is like I could have a Docker for Java Play and a Docker for Rails, right? Or insert framework here and be good to go. Very interesting. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Still evaluating it, but uh, so far so good. I mean, it doesn't play well with the ASP.NET that I love. Well, can you do any ASP.NET using Docker instances? I guess if you really configured something in there, like with Mono, right? You know, I don't know. It's To be honest, I what I have now is a problem where I have a bunch of Ubuntu servers laying around. And actually, my .NET stuff is much more organized because it's a lot newer. Where the settings aren't exactly the same, right? And I'm looking to just clean everything up. And Docker is a, a way to do that. It's, I don't want to call it an abstraction layer, but it kind of serves the same purpose, right? It simplifies it. You know, you set up your doc, you set up your Docker environment and you know what you're getting. Hmm. Now, to be fair, I'm sure we'll get tons of email. This is a self-inflicted problem for sure. Right. Cause I wasn't too, you know, 
I probably could have done like a, a EC2 image and always had the same exact setup, but I, I didn't. Well, all right. Well, that's yeah, not what today's that's episode's little, about, though. Yeah, that's not what today's episode's about. I'll be more prepared to talk about it probably next week. But. All right, well, we're going to get to some feedback. But first, I want to thank our first sponsor this week, Unity Sync. Unity Sync is a centralized service that synchronizes data between directories. The goal of Unity Sync is to provide organizations with a unified view of their different directories. If you're a developer and you're working with an application that has its own directory and you need to move data from that directory into yours, Unity Sync can synchronize the entire information, all of everything that's in the directory. With Unity Sync, you can synchronize the account information between different directories, so each directory contains a unified view of the other connected directories. Or you can just do single attributes by defining authoritative data sources. You can have one system that updates individual attributes of an existing object or of another. Unity Sync runs on Windows or Linux, has a very easy-to-use web interface to set up monitor, check on reports, run dry runs, uh, send yourself information if there's something that goes wrong, apply templates, even as a Perl scripting interface, you can get under the hood and play with Unity Sync supports just about every connection type from Active Directory to group-wise, even CSV files. SQL Zimbra, yeah, yeah, it can do that. And Unity Sync also is used by some of the largest corporations in the world. This is enterprise-grade software and it clocks in at just under four megabytes, eh, maybe four or something. I actually haven't looked at the Windows version, but I bet it's also equally as tight. If you go to Unity Sync, go to Derwiz.com, actually, click on Unity Sync, then hit the download button, use the code CODER when you check out, you'll get a 30-day trial, that's an extended trial, and your first year of maintenance for free! So if you pull the plug on Unity Sync, you don't have to worry about it for a year if you hit any bumps. And Unity Sync has a very innovative charging model where they base the price not on the amount of data, not on the amount of user accounts in the directory or anything arbitrary and silly, just per directory. Makes it super easy for long-term deployment. You can scale and you don't have to worry about hidden costs hitting you. And Unity Sync also has great customer support. They've got a good team based here in the U.S., actually in the East Coast, not too far from Mr. Dominic's uh, location. And uh, they are a really tight-knit team who really, really focus on making awesome enterprise-grade software. So go to derwiz.com and check out Unity Sync and use the code CODER when you check out to get a 30-day trial and your first year of maintenance for free. And thanks to Directory Wizards for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Go check out Unity Sync. Okay, Mr. Dominic. Should we start with our first email? Do it. So um, we got uh, we got a lot of... I, I, I did the emails this week, and we got a lot of... Well, I mean, I did not right before the show. Right. Uh, as, but you you know, you follow them throughout the week. And we got a lot of FizzBuzz still. We're still getting a lot of FizzBuzz stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely thank you for uh, yeah. for sending me your random FISBA samples. It's cool. However, it's cool. Th- there is no prize. Right? <laughs> so th- th- you're not winning a cookie or. It does kind of feel like it does kind of feel like I'm like, yeah. I'm like okay, yeah, so what I, are I, these? Yeah. I also got people direct messaging messaging me on Twitter like Jis on GitHub where they did FISBAs. I'm like okay, but whoa, thanks. there you go. Um, That's a clever way to do it, by the way. Yeah, that is actually. Well, Kyle wrote us in a big one. It wasn't on Fizzbuzz. Um, well, actually, he does. He it's a three point he, topic. He touches on Fizzbuzz. He mentions it he, yeah. this week. You had to mention it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he says hi, Mike and Chris. Just a few comments about the show this week, which I enjoyed a lot. He's talking about last week on the subject of learning the real basics of programming, Fizzbuzz, etc. I actually think that courses like Code Academy or Code School are maybe a better idea than Mike suggested. I personally learned the basics of coding from Corsia, right? Or Corsair, right? Cor- Corsia which is a course on Python uh, from Code Academy, and then learn the basics of GitHub from Code School. I found that with a little bit of help from experienced coders and a few reference books, uh, Code Academy in particular worked a lot better for me than a normal CS course. Well, that's very interesting, and I bet that's because he's able to sort of learn in his style, whatever works best for his mind. You know, everybody's brain kind of learns things a little differently. Some people are better in different ways. So maybe that sort of self-driven approach... uh, uh, let's him do that. Oh, I'm going to cough. Hold on one sec. Do it. Thank you. See, I got a little mute switch now. Oh, how nice. Yeah, I'm fighting. I'm fighting a little cold from the kids. Uh, he says, uh, number two. Thanks for having some. Uh, thanks for having someone from Persona on. I actually am working on an app that is moving to the cloud and will be using Persona for its authentication. We like it a lot. That's interesting. I've actually heard from a couple other people that have been trying out Persona too, and they said they thought they were really impressed with it. Uh, number three. I agree with all the comments that Canonical really needs to refocus on the server and the desktop. Oh, this is another one we got a lot of comments on. This yeah. Partic- yeah. So this is actually, this one's great. This email's great because he's really, I did a good job accidentally. Uh, thanks, Kyle. 
I was going to be idealistic, I would go with Firefox OS for my phone, and if I was going to be practical, I would buy an HTC One. There is nothing Canonical can really bring to the table in mobile, and I think they have seriously poisoned their desktop project to go to go uh, to go to a tiling window mill is just yeah. Uh, anyways, I appreciate uh, the way their blunders have accelerated the Wayland project, but realistically, realistically, Canonical is only the group that could con- uh, conceivably get Linux PCs sold as an OEM, so they're still valuable to Linux. Their focus should be the following. Decide on a framework for Unity. Qt looks like a good choice, so stick with it. Fix the App Store. It's terrible. And third, commit to a desktop and get serious about throwing some money around to get it in brick and mortar stores. And lastly, offer some olive branches to the community. In extreme, this could mean ditching Mirror and going Back to Wayland, Jala Sailfish OS is going to be using Wayland in their smartphones. I have no idea why Canonical can't do the same. This may feel like they have to finish the project to preserve their dignity. They may feel like they have to finish the project. But what they value is that they've made an enemy. Uh, but what value is that if they've made an enemy of the whole Linux world? <clears throat> that was long, but very good. You know, good yeah, insights. Like a, all right, so... Uh... The reason I don't talk about Coursera a lot is because I don't use it. So it's it's difficult to say one way or the other. We yeah. do get people who write in and say they like it, and that's fantastic. If it yeah. works for you, it works for you. Yeah. Uh, again, a lot of people did like Persona, and I think there's a lot to like there, so that's good. You know, I feel like we hit Canonical pretty hard. Yeah, and I did yesterday, too. Um, yeah, I didn't hear it yet. <sighs> I'm a little behind, but... You know, it's interesting because uh, the people in um, the Apple space, the comment on Apple, the people that I like to listen to right. are the people who can be objectively critical about it. Right. Um, you know, somebody who can be in the position to sit back and uh, watch the whole thing unfold sort of has the perspective of history and wants, you know, their overall success. You know, that's that's what, you know, is in there. You know, that's what they were, you know, in the long term. Like for me, I'd love to see Canonical be successful. Um, I think it's, I don't know. I, I think... It's unfortunate that uh, you can't have that conversation without hurting people's feelings, and you know it's because at the end of the day, it's it's all the work product of people. So right, and I, you know, there's definitely stuff that's worthy of criticism and how they've handled things. I, I, you know, I, I just feel like it's a little unfair to be so vicious, and I think we, even I, was too hard last week. Now to say that, I mean, I would still say that mobile phones is a, is a hopeless cause for them, but you know, you're I feel like this is a problem you know, I feel like a lot of people say they would buy Ubuntu laptops in brick and mortar stores if they were available, but I feel like that's not true. Yeah, they would I mean, I think a lot right. of people if I think a lot of folks that buy a Linux box or buy a machine this intended to be a Linux box. They buy it with Windows, so then they get the license. I mean, I would think. I mean, I know the diehards don't do that, but the the pragmatic, you know, right? You know, there's a whole category of users out there that just want. I think the vision I have for a successful canonical would be just as abhorrent to the people who right. are mad at them now. It's a very yeah. enterprise, very button down company. An Androidification right. of the Ubuntu desktop. I mean, right. Your vision, right. your vision, which we've covered on the show, includes them rolling their own display server, really owning that right. technology, having a custom crafted environment that they that they have carefully manufactured. Yeah, it, it's you know, it's basically Apple if Apple cared about the enterprise, right? And and wasn't into consumer sexy hardware design. I basically. think I think what the problem is is the community in general, open source, is just a totally different animal than commercial and. Like it has these surges in productivity where all of a sudden tons of good code are, is created, and Canonical will never be in a position where they will be able to utilize that stuff fast enough. So they'll always be, you know, if they're Androidifying Linux and right. rolling their own display server and their and their own uh, SDK and their own desktop, they're always going to be a kind of a step behind playing catch up in some stuff. Now maybe the experiences they deliver will be better polished and maybe work a little more cohesively. So that's fine, but you can't really, like, I don't feel like Canonical has proven to me that I could rely on them to deliver that much of the environment. Like, I think a big part of the reason why they've gotten as far as they can is because they have been able to essentially take the Debian repositories 
and right. utilize a lot of that hard work. Yeah, I, I actually disagree there. I, I feel like Ubuntu, well, I should be fair, 3.4 or 13, 3.4. No, definitely not 3.4. 13.4 is, or 04, if you will, the, L, the re- most recent LTS is a reasonable desktop operating system that I would run in a business and be confident yeah, in it. Right? I agree. I agree. But I feel like they don't want that market. And I feel like that's the only market who might be open to, because, you know, Chris, I forgot where I read it, but there is a ton of uh, enterprise customers still on, on XP. XP. I know. And their IT managers are having a coronary because of, you know, 8,000 security flaws. I know. Right? And, 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 yeah. and I have, I have had, <clears throat> this is this. These have been conversations that have been going on for years because everybody has known that XP is on a death watch, and so everybody has been just sitting back and seeing how this stuff played out. And then when I look back over the last two years, I have watched the conversation go from and, and I mean this was a really big deal to me, Michael, because I I started in the industry when uh, right. I fought tooth and nail to get a Linux box deployed and like my reputation went on the line and I was labeled for a while because I, I wanted to use Linux. Same thing with Azure. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny how things have changed. Yeah. Like, and so yeah. like I have gone from that. Uh, I have started at that aspect at that point in time in the industry to where I was having conversations with clients about the, the most efficient way to deploy Ubuntu long-term support on the desktops when they have to replace XP. Those conversations have sort of settled down, and now people are now taking a more serious look at the Macs. And a big part is because of these local Apple stores, the IT guys can just grab a machine and drive it right to the Apple store and drop it off. Like, it cuts down a lot of the shipping time and all that. That's, right, so that's right. one thing. But the other thing is, is OS X is sort of like gotten good enough at behaving in a Windows network that they can still use all of their existing file, uh, file and print shares uh, they can integrate with all of their Active Directory stuff right out of the right out of the box. And yeah. the other thing that uh, I know you you and I have talked about off air too is uh, IT admins are actually kind of liking by default this App Store restriction setting. This gatekeeper uh, in particular. Gatekeeper, yeah, yeah that's what yeah. it is. Gatekeeper. They're liking this gatekeeper where these people aren't able to download these apps and run them. And to you well, know, to me, that's I turn that off. I turn that crap off immediately. But to them, they think it's great. So you know what's funny? I don't. I it's off now because I had installed some command line stuff, but I actually have changed my mind a little bit. I think for most people, running with Gatekeeper is probably the right thing to do, right? Yeah, I, you know, like for my mom's computer. Not even your mom. I'm thinking for your accountant. Yeah, yeah. Or for your lawyer, right? right. Yeah, that's this is what they were thinking. Or you right. know, like they have these users who literally live all day in the web browser, and they are just uh, logging into this custom built web app and checking out quality of spec sheets. And, uh, you know, they don't, they just need Firefox to do that. And they were seriously considering because the guy that runs the IT department is a long term, like forever, always been a Linux guy. Like if, you know, he had a, if he had to go in somewhere that needed a domain, he wouldn't even consider doing Windows. He'd only do Linux. So he was going to do Linux on the desktop. And even he's watching this and he's thinking, I I can't do this. I can't recommend this. I don't know what they're doing. And, you know, and you know, 1204, the problem they have with 1204 is that at a certain point, stuff just starts to fall behind. See, on yeah, XP, I, they can keep certain applications that can run this base XP operating system for 10 years and then just keep certain user-level applications up to date all the time. It's a difficult yeah, I guess problem. we feel differently about it. I, I don't think it really falls behind. Um, you know, I, I could see a company deploying, deploying uh, Ubuntu LTS and just updating the packages that they use. Yeah, totally. And then for everything else, just automatically doing security updates, right? Yeah. And maybe that's their plan, right? Canonical hopes that the 1204 is good enough to get them over this hump of why they're retooling everything. I and mean, I'm pretty sure that's their intention, but I just, I don't know how practical it is. Where were we going I think it is this? their intention, yeah. Where we, I guess the point was, is that we don't intend to be hard on Canonical, it's just that we're really worried about the direction. I, I think it's that they need to make money, right? And if they don't, it's a big, big problem. And in other news, Apple still has not managed to run a web service correctly. You still having problems on your developer? I just got an email that my Mac developer program membership has expired. Oh, So I log into iTunes Connect, and because I did pay for it, I'm good until next year. Wow. Man, how how are how do you can, can you say how do you know how these outages are affecting the beta testers for 
both iOS 7 and OS 10 Mavericks? I was unable to send beta tests for about a, two weeks. So, and this is me saying this, and you haven't told me anything, but to me, from what I'm reading online, oh, iOS 7 could be the most buggy launch of an operating system they've ever had, and kind of a double whammy to have testing be down, <laughs> have your testers unable to submit bugs. I mean, I'm sure really big things were able to get through through some sort of alternative means. Okay, but... well, to be fair, the reason I couldn't send builds is because my uh, my keys had expired. Oh, my, okay. my membership started happened to start in June a couple of years ago, so it always renews all my keys every June. has to be redone. Um, or I'm sorry, every August has to be redone. So when the outage happened, my keys were just expiring. I, I feel like I feel like if I was to hit pause on all of our shows and for five years and come back and we were doing the show on a Monday in five years, uh, we would be talking about how everything runs on the web. Nobody cares if you're running Windows or Linux because everything's in the web browser except the Mac, the last bastion of app stores, where everything's been appified. Even desktop apps have in-app purchases, but there's your native code. And even on the Mac the majority of what you do is in the web browser. I feel like that's the direction things are going anyway. So it's like this this conversation we're having about, oh, XP and, oh, Ubuntu. Right. It's like almost, it's going to be like, in five years, it's going to be irrelevant probably. So does it have a web browser? Okay. Well, I, I feel like that's a uh, bold prediction. I don't think it's going to be true. Though. I hope not. Yeah, I, 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 That's not a future I want. <laughs> I mean, I think the... <clears throat> You know, that's a larger discussion for a different day. All right, all right. I, I do have another email. Should I get the next email? Do it. I know. It. So, well, see, this is this is why we only did two emails, because there's a lot to chew on here. All right. So, uh, next email came in from Sleep. Oh, boy, I know that one. He says, first of all, congratulations, Chris and Michael, for, you know what? A fantastic show. Uh, I download the show every Monday and listen to you guys religiously every Tuesday morning on my way to work. I'm not even a programmer by trade, but this, along with Lass, is the JB show I follow the most. Keep up the good work. And now that he's done with brown nosing, he's got some questions. So, like I said, I'm not a programmer by trade. I took an intro course to CS in high school, uh, taught using C++, and I recently picked up some Bash and Python pretty much on my own. In other words, I don't know very much about programming, just the very basics. But my workplace, where I am a junior sysadmin, I have written two or three Python scripts. Nothing too crazy. All my scripts are less than 200 lines of code each, but my coworkers and boss seem to like them and find them pretty useful. The thing is, fooling around with Python has gotten me feeling pretty good about myself, and I'm interested in learning programming properly now. Ooh, properly. Now, this little bit that I know has been a product of using online resources mostly, but I'm not sure if that's the best route to take if I want to take it seriously. Sometimes I learn about different tools and technologies, and I, find, and, and I think to myself, how do I take all of these things to include them together? I could be wrong, but I think I've heard Michael say that most self-taught, mo- he's mostly self-taught, but, I, but could he recommend a person interested in, could he recommend to a person interested in learning programming to take a college course and get a degree or just stick to reading books? and using online resources for learning. Wouldn't college guide you better and lay a better plan for learning to program, teach you best practices, techniques, etc.? Or can I learn from programming effectively on my own? Sorry for the long message, but thanks. Thank you, Sleepy. I'd be curious, too, if any of the uh, graybeards in the uh, chat room, too, have a, an opinion on this, anybody who's kind of been through this. What do you think now, uh, Michael? I know we kind of touched on this, but I, maybe we just need to give the definitive, like, co- the Coda Radio call for now. Uh, well, I mean, you know, definitely with recent uh, interviews in mind, college does not prepare you at all. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I would recommend something like Code Academy. I mean, certainly going to college is definitely worth it and something you should probably do anyway. But whether, right. you know, whether by the virtue of having a, a comp sci degree, you're going to be a better developer, I think we've at least anecdotally proven that that's not the case. Oh, I've got uh, I've got a guest that wants to come into the office and say hi. Um, yeah, I think the only reason I would recommend maybe going to school is if you have trouble sort of self-starting, right? Or right. if you kind of it, or groups, it, maybe working with other people. It'll also make getting that first job easier, right? Yeah. Oh, that's actually a very good point. I think it makes uh, I think it would make like the resume a little easier, right? It's yeah. a little easier to get your foot in the door. I mean, after the first year or so, it doesn't matter anymore. But you know, to get past that first HR lady who's going to see your resume out of school, you you probably. I mean, if you know you want to be a developer and you're going to college, go ahead and take comp sci, right? 
Yeah. Having said that, I would definitely, you know, if you have electives, I wouldn't be taking math or more computer courses. I'd try to be a little more well-rounded. That's probably, a, for instance, no spelling errors in your cover letter, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be my problem. Especially if English is your first language. It's yeah. Bad. Yeah. Hmm. But, but I mean, to be fair, I mean, you know, me and Chris are coming at it from kind of both an unconventional route, right? I yeah. have a lit degree. And Chris, uh, Chris is like a no, self-made man of legend. He's like Rockefeller. Right, yeah, yeah. Sure. No, I just went right to work. Yeah. But, you know, the the industry was not really like – there wasn't like a totally defined path. And I think I kind of benefited from that. I kind of just skipped past all of that and just got right down to work. And and then I just became the guy that had the solution for the problem at hand. And so the jobs came, right? Yeah, and I spent four years reading poetry and chasing girls, so. Oh, and now and now you spin poetry every Monday. On the Coda Radio program. On the Coda Radio program. And Iambic Pentameter. Chris, we're doing it in one week. I'm doing the whole show in Iambic Pentameter. Okay. How, how would that go exactly? Be very hard. Okay. I would have to take, if I have, if I have to uh, respond in kind, I would have to probably have a crash course. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, before we get to our bomber topic, which is what I've been chewing at the bit. I, in fact, I don't know if you caught the pre-show Wait, before you joined we us. Have, we do have a dev hoopla though. Oh, 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 we do. I didn't see that. Good yes. catch. Yes. In fact... That was a, like one of the number ones submitted topics in the subreddit this week, in the Coda Radio subreddit, so I'm glad you caught that. All right, yeah. first, I want to thank our second sponsor this week, GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy.com has these new Express Pathway checkouts. Now, you got to use that super secret code that is linked in our show notes. You just click that link. It pre-arms your shopping session for Coder 249. That way, you're getting a .com for $2.49, and you're supporting the Coda Radio program, but also that link automatically enables that express pathway checkout. So it's boom, boom, super clean, laser focused buying experience. Really nice. GoDaddy has really honed it down to exactly what you guys want. Uh, and, and this Linux 249 code, I don't actually know when it expires. Uh, it's kind of based on an inventory thing. And we have a we Linux, have a, Linux 249. Oh, well, that too, all the 249 codes, but Coder 249, all of the oh, 249 codes, you know, those guys no. Coder 249 because you, you want so you want to support developers, 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 developers. Oh. Now, <laughs> it could be expiring at the end of the month. It kind of depends. I have this close special friend, special friend at GoDaddy that gets me these super awesome deals. Uh, and it kind of depends on her availability. So I don't know if it's going to be extended at the end of the month. And this is the last episode before that would be over. So use the code coder 249 to get yourself anything. You need to forward to a crazy long URL, like a G plus profile, because Google doesn't know how the internet works. Or if you need to use like a blog or an invitation, get a .com for that. It's real estate on the internet and it's going for $2.49. So thank you to GoDaddy, the world's number one domain name registrar. Started right out of the heart of Texas in uh, right on the ranch of Bob Parsons. You know, my favorite service that GoDaddy provides is actually um, wrangling cattle, believe it or not. That, yeah, they, they kind of spun that off. Um, they spun yeah. that off, yeah. But, oh, did uh, they? That it's makes still, sense because when I call my rep and I'm like, all right, I have 20 heads here, 20 yeah, cattle heads. Yeah. We need to get them from Mississippi to Texas right, or right. from Texas to Mississippi, which yeah. would make more sense. I mean, you could still bring your cattle to the Texas offices if, if you want. You know, Do you know what they say? They say, sir, Mr. Dominic, we love you. We love Coda Radio. We yeah. love Jupiter Broadcasting. Yeah. The guy says, I personally hate last because I'm your rep, which is excellent. But you got you to gotta put down the whiskey. Yeah, you know when the bottles have ten X's on it, you just you just walk away. Well, this you, when you're drinking in Texas, you got to be careful. It's hot too. It's hot, hot, right? Yeah. You, so you dehydrate. It's very right. dangerous, right? And you know the thing is, is they had to get rid of the cattle to make room for all the dot coms people are going to be buying. I mean that stuff has to sit in a warehouse somewhere. So I mean GoDaddy has extreme costs. I can't believe they're giving us these dot coms for two dollars and forty nine cents. It's crazy. Yeah, but I keep buying them. I know, me too. <laughs> it's awesome, though. Like, I'm like, here you go. It's part of your birthday present. It's an accessory. <laughs> so I'm opening a great new social coding site, alcoholiccoders.com. <laughs> it's uh, for all your drunk code. Uh, let's do uh, – okay, you do that, and I'll do uh, – let's do alcoholics uh, podcasters. The problem is, is I, I think you could probably – code drunk better than you can podcast drunk because you got to be able to talk and push buttons and you know drive a conversation it's kind of hard to drink well i you know i hope some of the fizzbuzz samples i've received have been under the influence of something that does explain it that does explain it, it a little bit um all right well so the hoopla before we get to the bomber which bomber could almost be a little bit of hoopla itself but bomber no bomber deserves more so let's talk about SourceForge. 
Yeah, so apparently it's time to pour a 40 out for Source Forge. Ouch. Uh, they are not dead. However, they've... How would you put this? In, are enthusiastically advertising Nagware software. Yeah, they basically say, well, download.com's doing it, so let's just throw in. And now, yeah. here, by the way, when you download your open source code, would you like to download it with our closed proprietary downloader that also installs spyware, adware, and malware? Yeah. Now, malware's a bit of a stretch, right, I would assume? But- I wouldn't call it malware. I, I, I wouldn't even say spyware, though. That's, you know, spyware is a weird term. It depends on your definition. I, it's definitely adware. Like, it's, it's yeah. So this is something that so SourceForge was sort of like the last bastion of download sites that didn't do this. Well, all kidding aside, SourceForge, you know, I, I firmly believe if there was no SourceForge, there'd be no GitHub, right? SourceForge kind of started this whole download open source crap that thing, and they've kind of been stagnating and, frankly, dying on the vine a little bit. Well, there's no money in it, right? That's it's the just pure cost. It's something that somebody has to do out of the goodness of their heart. And thank goodness somebody did for a long time. Now, so uh, the TLDR on this whole situation, according to this is uh, on the Gluster community blog. This isn't from Gluster. It's just an opinion piece that somebody posted. Says, uh, and we should say we got this from our subreddit. Yeah, yeah, like the number one linked story, I think, or number two, something like that. So it thanks, was number one yesterday. It's fallen, but... Thanks to the coderadio.reddit.com community. Uh, so the TLDR on this is SourceForge once... A mighty force for good of open source has fallen from its previous lofty heights. DICE, the new owners, strongly encouraged the top projects to use new, closed-source-only installers that push spyware. Developers using SourceForge should migrate away if they want to keep their integrity. End-users using projects hosted on SourceForge should immediately find an alternative. Wow. And then they they show uh, FileZilla here as an example. So the SourceForge ad team reaches out to the FileZilla project and says, Hey buddy, how what do you think about uh what do you hi, hi what do you think about uh using our installer here uh and we'll get you uh, some we'll give you a cut. And you know, maybe the FileZilla guys say, gosh, we don't make any money off FileZilla. SourceForge needs the right. cash and they're providing our bandwidth. We're kind of in a spot to be obligated to do what they ask. Well, maybe that's why it happens. I don't know. I mean I'm not against monetization no. of SourceForge. That's the thing and, and and I know sometimes I get a and I think you must get them too for last, you know, emails from a lot of the more idealistic free software guys, and probably younger too. I feel like this is the kind of thing that happens when we don't, when a project doesn't have a clear monetization strategy, but has expenses like bandwidth, right? And SourceForge's bandwidth bill at one point was probably very, very high. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I just wanted to, you know, this was popular in the subreddit. There was a good well, discussion. Well, now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sure. I think some of the SourceForge download mirrors are donated. Are they? I think so, yeah. Yeah, now oh. that I think about it. Well, then DICE is just a dick. I mean, what do you want? I'm not, I'm not sure if that's all true, but I think... I don't think that's true. Okay. I think it's a service they provide. Okay, all right. Now, so you take, like, uh, did, are you familiar, did you ever read the H-Online, H-Online? Another sad one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. same thing, right? Uh, good good idea. Uh, they paid their writers. Um, good, good good, writing, too, right? Professional writers, yep. none of this, uh, right. you know. And yet they didn't rad. land on a monetization strategy. And unfortunately, now a very good resource online for uh, news uh, is gone. It's just gone. They had to shut I mean, it down. They shut it down abruptly. They actually employed a lot of uh, relatively you know, important people in the community, especially the podcasting community. Yeah, it's too bad. I just, and this is, you know, I know Chris, especially I know more me. I get the, some of the emails are a little critical of my focus on the business side of things, but I feel like if you have something cool and you don't think about the business side, is this exactly, it's a ticking clock. Get it out of here. Get it out of here. You're right. Well, that that was a very, I mean, So have you always been in the position when you were contracting that uh, did you just sort of roll into it with clients or was there a were there stretches of time where like you didn't have enough client uh, work to bring in you know enough money to cover the bills because you know I feel like yeah in the very beginning there was a little bit of that yeah but it was never never awful it's all a balance I mean it doesn't matter what type of business it is. You know, Jupiter Broadcasting lives on a fine line too between sponsors and contributions for the community. And if we lose either, right. if we lose either one dramatically, it hurts us. Um, 
and I would, I, think, I would I would have a very short runway. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, right, and I'm not I'm not sure how strongly you'd agree with this, but in, you know, certainly the case of Jupiter Broadcasting, there could be sponsors that ask too much, or perhaps want to cross certain lines, things like that that you kind of won't do. And the same for development projects, right? There are certain things I just won't do, right? Certain types of projects I won't take. Period. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and you can say that, well, you should take a sponsorship or, or on my side, I should take any project that comes without prejudice, but it's just not how I do things. And I, I can tell from the sponsors you've always had for years that that's not how you do things, right? How so? My end or your end? Well, um, I, you know, I, I guess, I guess you're, I guess if you consider the, the sponsor as a client. And so I'm thinking of one sponsor in particular who's sponsoring a lot of development shows right now that has uh, certain things you can and cannot say. Oh, right. So where they want some kind of editorial consideration. Right. Right. Yeah, I do know. Yeah, that's never been an issue. Right. Because you just don't even enter right. into those discussions. Right. Yeah. 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 And I feel like, you know, I know, I know sometimes we come off as a little too hard on the money side, but you certainly have to keep your, your principles there. You know, for instance, I will not do work on adult sites, period. Hey, oh, you can send them my way. What's up? Yeah. Chris is a connoisseur, though. I don't, I don't do any development work, but if you need a developer for your adult site. (laughs) Yeah. See, I have, you know, there's certain things I won't do. And I think what happened to SourceForge didn't, they had those principles and then they got sold and the new owner didn't have them. Right. Chris, I'm sad again. We need to move on. All right. Okay. I mean, I didn't want to bum you out. I mean, I thought for a minute there, I thought you were actually going in a positive direction, but. Uh, no, no, there's no right. positivity. <clears throat> well, then we will move right along. So, SourceForge, uh, clean up your act. Although, you know, a lot of people have moved on. Yeah. Get up. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, no, it, that's, that's the reality. All right. So, here we were, you and I sitting here uh, just a few weeks ago, July 1st. Yes. Episode 56 of the Coda Radio program. And uh, we proclaimed that Microsoft is in a big old funk, and they need to change some stuff up. And uh, shortly after that, they announced a restructure. So that was interesting. So, so, so that so, has so, been so fairly I, recent. I just want to say, much like uh, Queen Beryl of the Negaverse, and if you get that reference, you either have very young female relatives or you're very, very scary. Mm. Uh, I looked into my crystal ball, and I said, goodbye, Steve. Really? Yes. I I didn't think... They had the balls because I thought if they were going to do it, they would have done it years ago. Like, I guess this shows the fatality of the situation they're in where it took them so long. It shouldn't have taken them this long. Now we're buried the lead. Bomber's Uncle, been... Uncle, Uncle Bomber has been. Uh, and you read on it. He was fired, right? I, oh, he was. He, he left. Yeah. I mean. He might have done it of his own volition, but it right. wasn't a planned thing. It was a mutual firing. Well, right. so Kara D over at All Things D this morning ran a piece that says Balmer's departure from Microsoft was more sudden than portrayed by the company. Uh, yeah. Instead, sources said Balmer's timeline had been moved up drastically, first by him and then by the nine-member board, including his longtime partner and Microsoft co-founder, Chairman Bill Gates, after they all agreed it was best if he left sooner. Now, so what's interesting... One, one aspect to this that I think the press hasn't covered... Hmm is the new group of investors and who've taken a relatively significant portion of Microsoft's public stock. Um, they've been categorized, I forgot their name, but they've been categorized as activist investors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we were to call Michael Dell right now and ask him how he feels about activist investors, I'm pretty sure, you know, it's one thing to screw up mobile. It's one thing to kind of somehow not be a tech guy and run one of the largest tech companies in the world. It's another thing to now have some kind of political danger in the boardroom, right? And I'm actually a Balmer supporter. I don't think Balmer's as bad as he, he is portrayed to be. Um, you know, it's interesting because uh, – so the one thing, if I said what's Microsoft's big success in the last right. – you know, since he took over, what's, Mar- what's Microsoft's big success since 2000? What would you say? Nothing. Xbox did not make enough money. I mean they won't release the numbers, but – you know, reputable sources, Paul Thorat and some of the other Windows bloggers, Microsoft bloggers. It's pretty clear that Xbox maybe made a small profit or broke even at this point. Yeah. 
Yeah, because well, mainly it because is, of that huge write down they had to take of the Red Ring situation. I mean, that really put them back. You know, people but. make a big deal of that. That wasn't the biggest problem, right? It was the R and D getting into a new space. They had to buy their way into the market. Um, and to their credit, I mean, one thing you got to like about Microsoft is, I know I'm preaching to people who hate them, but they are a developer centric company, right? Developers, developers, developers. In fact, oh yes, developers and. You know, sometimes they they will financially back developers who they want to come to their ecosystem, and sometimes they'll you know, they do make good tools, which all costs money. It all costs them money, right? But uh, you know, I we, if I would ask you, last five years, Apple, big product, iPhone, right? iPad, right? Google, I'd say Android, mm-hmm. or the fact that they've managed to murder a whole suite of online potentially online businesses. Yeah, I mean their office. Their office is blowing up. Google Google Docs is actually really doing quite well in education. Yeah, it, well, Microsoft. It's you know they're a very conservative company, and I can already see the chat room. We're CEO ever. The thing you have to understand is that it's not in a in a public company. The CEO is is the boss, but it's not. It's not like a private company, right? Where you know. Jupiter Broadcasting, I believe, is a private company. Chris owns it. Fingertip Tech is a private company. I own it, right? Mm-hmm. No one can tell me that they're a little worried about this short-term loss, right, for, for a project. And public companies, one of the problems is that whenever there's an investment made, you know, the shareholders get nervous and the board gets nervous. And they're always moving towards this more conservative model. Think about it right now. For some reason, Wall Street is nervous about Apple's lack of quote innovation, which is a word that no longer has any meaning. Right, because you can you can right. taunt uh, Google Glass's product, which could be two years from actual usable market, and as long right. as you just pretend like you're making a watch or pretend like you've got these great glasses project or pretend like you have awesome cars that are about to be on market any day, then your stock just magically floats up, regardless of what you actually make money doing. Right. Whereas you know, if you're, oh, and I'm actually writing a piece about this, and I don't want to get too deep into the Dell thing, but. You know, I think Michael Dell is probably one of the few tech CEOs right now who's honest with the state of the the market, and you know his plan is to take Dell private because quote investors, public investors will not be able to withstand the losses Dell needs to take to pivot to you know the the new market. Right? I believe Mobile that. I, d- I believe that. I and think that's that's the truth. A private company, you know, if you're owned by one or two people. You can sit down over coffee and say, listen, we need to bleed for six months to do this. Public company, you know, Dell, it, it's, and even Microsoft to a point, they beat the crap out of them for not innovating, but then if they take a risk and the shirt, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. they get yelled at for, quote, wasting $800 million, which is not a lot for a company like Microsoft, right? It's like the equivalent of me and you gambling ten grand on a product. You're talking about their most recent loss on the Surface right. RT stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it, it's just really. It's funny the statement how- of it, though. It's the statement. It is the total miss of the mark. So I think, you know, I have two interesting perspectives on Bomber. I, if you asked me that five-year question about Microsoft and their or ten-year question about Microsoft, I would say Xbox. Even though they've had trouble, I think now, if Xbox One is is, is a success or even number two, they'll probably be making some money. Maybe not the first year, but they'll probably be. You know, they're probably now set to make money. Right, they're in the black for sure on Xbox. Right. Yeah. And you think about, like, probably the number one thing Balmer did to make Xbox a success was to set up whatever structure he set up. Like, maybe he is the one responsible for clearing the way, letting them be their own unique thing. I mean, the thing about when you go to Microsoft is it's it feels like a business, except for the Xbox area. The Xbox area feels a little weird. It's a little Zappos in the Xbox area. And right. they let that happen somehow. They don't let it happen. And I mean, the Mac business unit's also kind of like that at Microsoft. And, of course, the R&D and the Maps department. But, like, a lot of it is otherwise very, very corporate feeling. And uh, it had to take some sort of leadership to say, let them create their own thing there. And he did that really well. But the, at, the, at the end of the day... That's really not that hard of a call to make when you look at what you're trying to create. We're trying to create a video game. We need to have a video game culture, company culture. Uh, I think he failed overall to recognize good products from bad products. Courier doesn't ship, but yet uh, the kin does. Well, I think it's hard for a public company to, you know, with the glaring exception of Steve Jobs, who, let's, you know, public speaking and people skills definitely help, right? And having a cult following certainly helped him. 
it, it's hard to to take huge risks when you're a profitable public company. You have tons of shareholders. Um, I mean, let's look at Windows Phone. I, I feel like Windows Phone is still a great system, right? I just feel like it's not getting the support that it needs. Yeah. I, I definitely, I think it's funny how they have so many employees and so much money and yet some projects totally starve. Right? I mean, that's what, uh, oh, come on. Yeah. I mean, they starve some things that you're just like, wait, 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 why did you, why did you launch this? Especially like uh, some things in the server space that I'm always just like, why did you ship this with the product if you were never going to put the resources on it? Right. Then yet, yeah, but then you'll go to their network drivers team and they've got 30 guys that are responsible for working with the hardware manufacturers to have certified network card drivers. I mean, what kind of, it doesn't make any sense. It's, they have a very odd structure and ripping off the top well, and putting it's on odd. I think it was, you know, the structure was built, you know, in the, in the nineties. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. And so if you look at it, it makes a lot of sense for the nineties. And also the, the power relationships between the hardware and software company has kind of changed and they're the ones who have changed it, but they still, you know, the fact that they need to have separate drivers for all the different hardware manufacturers is silly, right? <laughs> like, if I'm Microsoft, they say, well, you can do your own thing, but if you don't conform to our protocol, not our problem. Yeah. You know, you use a little bit. Uh, and to they be can't fair, do that. They can't do that. I, I think they would do that, but for the federal government. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get, they get smacked. Another advantage of a private company, by the way. Okay, so what do you think? What do you think going forward? Do you think uh, Microsoft will emerge with uh, like uh, Scott Forstall at the helm, and they'll become this lean, mean product and services? If they company? emerge with Scott Forstall at the helm, I need to not do anything on Azure. Uh, they want to become a devices and services company, so they're all about Surface and Azure and Xbox Live and all of that stuff. Forget about the service; it's, it's Azure, right? Azure is is the key to everything. Because Azure is Xbox Live, right? This is, it's not Azure and Xbox Live or Azure and Office 365. Azure is. Is it though, actually? It, I think, it, I, I think Azure is the new Windows. Azure is the base of everything. Azure is the way forward for them. I don't know. Is it? I don't think so. I mean, I know you're not a fan, but it is a very good service. It's difficult to find fault with it, right? Okay. All right. I have not used it. Right. And, you know, to their credit, they're embracing open source now. I know the term embrace has a lot of negative connotations. (laughs) Oh, can they extend it too? But they haven't, right? That's Right, no. I I think one of their biggest problems is it's it's hard to turn a big ship, right? I mean, look, in five years, the business model of selling you Office for $200 at a Best Buy or Staples is, is not going to be possible. Right. I mean, it, I don't even know. Is that what office costs now? $200 still? No, I think it's more than that. Is it really? Yeah. Well, the fact that we don't know the price proves that it's not that important. You can get, you can get a subscription for, a, you know, yeah. something. I think cheap. it's interesting to see who they put, uh, who they put as the new CEO. Cause I have a gamble. Would you like, shall I open my evil crystal ball again? Yeah. I think it's the Azure guy. Oh, uh, uh, Sadai, I'm sorry, I don't know his name. It's, um, but the CEO supposed to be kind of like a figurehead, you know? I mean, that's why they kept him as long as they did. Uh, it, unless they go outside of the company. God, I, now, here's funny. I I would have liked Stephen Sanofsky actually. Yeah, because he's a jerk, but he has a lot. Of, he has vision, right? Yeah, and he's not afraid to say, "Well, you know, the start button being back in 8.1 is kind of an embarrassment." That's ridiculous i feel like he never would have approved that i think the menu should never have gone away but that's another story see i actually disagree that's the thing i yeah it's not that bad right it's It's not that it's not you need to change things need to evolve so i i don't know if i necessarily agree like it seems like if you have a 25 year process of developing a way to interface with the application launcher on a computer maybe after 25 years with the existing mouse and keyboard input technology, maybe that is the superior method for that type of interface. And then when you move to a different interface methodology, the voice or touch or motion, then you refactor the UI. 
Like, if you're still going to have... I think that's the thinking that got them in this situation where it's okay to just keep iterating for 20 years. You know, and maybe this is just, you know, me being crazy, but I, I feel like they could have deprecated things a lot faster, but more incrementally, and this have not hurt as much, right? Yeah, maybe they could have actually done like a yearly OS release. Or a right. two-year something. Or at least like a, what do they call them, service patch? Yeah. yeah. I call them patches, but whatever. Yeah, patches. And which is what they're moving to now. And, you know, I guess getting back to something you kind of said as an offhand comment in the feedback, at least for the near term, it's all going to be about the web, right? It's all about the cloud. And I just, I just, I guess I just don't see, you know, for the long game, I don't see their future being anything but Azure. And I don't think that's a bad future for them. I know, but you were just the guy telling me how there's all these enterprise customers who want more of the same and they're out there by the but, millions wanting to buy desktops. But that's, that's a, that's short term, right? And that's no, a big it's not. I them. don't think so. I think that's another 25 year market. Sure, but how much are they making per unit? Right? A lot, though. I mean, that's Microsoft's main source of revenue on Windows and Office already. Yeah, I think they have something in Azure that could be bigger than EC2. I think they could actually be the number one player in that space, and that business will be bigger than Windows. You can't get past that Microsoft brand. You know what? You mentioned when you first had to bring Linux into an employer, putting your reputation on the line. True. I ironically true. had to do the same thing for Azure. That's true. That is very true. Which However, weird position to be in. Well, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I, I don't know for sure. I, I, I suspect that just like they were too late coming to mobile, by the time they got here, OpenStack, Amazon EC2, and Rackspace have kind of locked down serious infrastructure. Now, so the, I don't mean to, yeah. but like. Maybe maybe there's a huge market out there for like apps and stuff, but like you know, people who are running like when the CIA wanted to build another data center, they didn't call up Microsoft to build the Azure cloud. They called up Amazon and contracted with them to replicate the EC2 cloud for the for CIA. Sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean I'm you know, I don't work for Microsoft, right? I don't have an interest in this. I definitely think they have a big PR fight coming up. You know, one thing is, why can I just, you know, use Ruby and Java Play and talk about these things all as equivalent alternatives, but then when you get to the Windows side of things, it's like a whole new world. And I think they need to do a lot of outreach to the open source community, but also to communities that potentially aren't friendly to them, right? Like, they need to be willing to, you know, let's be honest, go on podcasts that might be a little more hostile. Mm. You know, not just preach to the choir. They need to say, listen... We've been dicks in the past, right? Like, we've done pretty questionable things. But we're just another tool in your box to get things done, and that's all we are. We're not trying to lock you in. That's it. Well, I have what I think might be in the future. Because one of the things about these CEOs going, like, you know, when Jobs leaves or dies, like, you don't really know the full implications of that on the company for years out. And I have a three- to five-year guess to what the biggest thing that Balmer will have left behind on Microsoft that will be to its detriment. But before we do that, I want to thank our third and final sponsor for this week's episode of Coder Radio. And that, my friends, is Ting.com. Actually, go to CoderRadio.Ting.com and then you'll save $25 off your first device. Ting has just launched a new service that helps you by going out and finding a used or refurbished phone for you. So you fill out a super quick form and say, hey, I'm looking for a phone that follows these attributes, maybe even this brand or this make. Could you go use your super awesome support staff team to go find a refurbished phone for me that you can guarantee is compatible with Ting? And they'll go out and just do that and contact you and say, hey, we have found a refurbished phone for you. This is a super easy, very easy and cheap way to get on the Ting service. Then once you're in on Ting, you're going to be blown away how Ting does things. Ting just takes what you use every single month and bills you at the end. So like for me right now, my Ting bill is like $17. It is crazy. I mean, we're talking, they just add up the minutes, the megabytes and the messages, whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you pay. It's $6 a line too. So if you need to have multiple devices for testing, if you want to try something on the HTC One and you also want to see how that scales up on the Note 2, instead of having to pay on contract 
for two separate lines, you get a contract-free ting, ting line with no early termination fee, no hidden services that end up costing you way, way more than you expected. You only pay for what you use. And if you don't even use that phone at all for that month, you're just paying the flat $6 for that line. It is awesome. And it takes away that guilt that comes associated when you have multiple devices, but you want to have data. And like in my case, I like to have multiple devices that have data plans. So that way I can also get the GPS functionality, which is great for testing, but it's also just great for like nav and doing outdoor activities. Using Ting is fantastic for that because when I need the device to have that data, I just use it and I just pay an incredibly low rate for what I do use. Plus Ting includes hotspot, tethering, all of that stuff. Go to coderadio.ting.com. You're going to save $25 off your first month of Ting service or off a Ting device if you buy a new device. I brought my Evo 4G, brought it over to Ting, had it up and running in probably eight minutes all through their crazy, easy, clean web UI. You guys are really going to love them. And if you're out there and you need something new and you don't want to get locked into another contract, there's no reason, no reason at all not to go check out Ting. Go to CodaRadio.Ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. I like Ting so much. I got mad on Ting now. And, I uh, love Ting. They sell the HTC One, the best phone you could buy. Matt's rocking the Note Two, and he's loving the screen size, loving it. And, and you know, this is big because for Matt, he's like, "Oh, tablets, mar." You know, he hasn't been a big tablet guy or a big yeah. smartphone guy, and he's totally digging it. Uh, all right. So, what I think the mark the bomber leaves on Microsoft is the the stigma of Windows, which was once considered, you know, the great desktop for business. It, it looks old now. It looks it, it it marks Microsoft in the past era, in the '90s. And so, when people think of cloud and people think of mobile, people think of low pro- power, people think of devices and services. Windows deters from all of that. And and Balmer's big thing was Windows, Windows, Windows. This company is a Windows company. This company is the foundation of Windows. And when they did things like launch Windows RT or Windows Phone. They shouldn't have called it that. They should have called it RT or Microsoft phone or something. They needed to start pulling away from the Windows image, you know, maybe at the 7 launch. Like that needed to be the last time they got really effing excited about Windows. 8 needed to be a rev point release. Nobody should have treated it like a big deal. It should have been like, yeah, this is just a point release. It's basically the same core with a new theme and a new launcher. If you want to use it, you can stick with 7. You know, we're, 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 you know, totally pulling away from the branding of Windows, totally pulling away from these big launches. Go, go kind of the even smaller scale than Apple. Like Apple has scaled back. Yeah, we're going to do it every year. It's going to cost you about 30 bucks. Download it online if you want. Like even, you know, more low key than that. Make people start thinking about Microsoft in a broader sense than Windows. But Balmer, Balmer doubled down on the Windows branding. Balmer wanted to bring Windows into the cloud. Balmer wanted to windify everything. And I don't think he won. And every time, like, you know, they were going to call it Windows Azure. Now it's just Azure, right? I, I think they kind of scaled back. They started to realize that, but the damage was done. And I think four or five years from now, that stigma of being that 90s operating system will be the hardest thing they have to fight against. And that's his fault. Didn't know when to cut it off. He didn't know when it was too much of a good thing. I guess what I'm what I'm saying is that I think Azure will be the new Windows, right? Azure will be the base. And I think the stigma of the Windows brand will prevent people from considering Azure as a serious product. Now, I think it'll have a very strong base in like as a second or third tier cloud provider, but right. I don't think that is enough of a mark. Microsoft is so huge that their cash cow, they need to be the leader in that market by a margin, right? I mean, that's how Windows and Office work is they aren't just kind of the dominator in that space. They, right, it's like 80%. They wholly dominate, right? Yeah. But can they survive on a 25% market share of the cloud services? I don't think so. Maybe it's reoccurring revenue, but I just, I don't see it. So even if mm. it does well, it, it's, it's, it's not going to probably do well enough because of that Windows stigma. You have a point. I mean, I, and I think the better point is that you know, they're so big, they have so much overhead that they can't just win. They need to dominate, right? It's not enough to do well. And isn't it interesting, you mentioned Dell, they just admit, you know what, we got to lean up. We just got to, we got to trim everything off. And you look at Kodak, Kodak, where they, where they actually transitioned to digital and they had digital cameras and they had digital printing and they were actually doing really well in sales it just still was too low of margins and still too low compared to their film business. Their old business just made more money. But then that market went away because digital cameras. And now Kodak doesn't even exist as Kodak anymore. True. 
a weird it's a weird thing to watch the one these once you know coming from a period of time i i literally remember thinking it's they've gone too far there will never be a time where microsoft doesn't completely dominate the industry and you know in, in reality they you know the desktop they still do you know it's funny i i kind of think that way about apple but more and more i'm seeing that they're losing a lot of ground as the client stops mattering, right? As the client side of things becomes a little more universal. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, they're going to kind of have the same problem. Yeah. They have, a, they have a little bit less of the same branding problem, and they don't need to sell infrastructure services to sustain their business. They, you know, they can provide really good clients to that, to that you know, more homogenous uh, you know future but uh they will have considerably less margins on them because the demands are going to be closer to what chromebook demands are i mean we all kind of laugh at chromebooks but you do may, if google has its way and they are a very influential tech company ever everybody's going to work off a of chromebook in 10 years I, I actually don't laugh at chromebooks i just bought someone who's doing some work for me a chromebook yeah it's um for, i really for anyone in like a support role or a marketing role chromebooks are, are a pretty good option right that's interesting. I mean, that's and yeah. it's, well, part of that is because you can you can even get like SSH clients for Chrome plugins. Well, it's, it's because it was two hundred dollars and it's you know a full laptop. Yeah, and it can be dedicated to right. work. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's all it is. It's docs. Yeah, yeah, and maybe if that wasn't an option, would you've been thinking MacBook Air? No, I, I mean it's too you expensive. Know, right. Yeah, I would have been thinking. This is my, know, this I, is Apple's this. problem. This is the problem. I mean, as long as really rich client side applications are preferred, Apple's got a business. And same with really Microsoft Windows. But if they do start transitioning to the web, which I, if you would have showed me Google Docs back back in the Office two thousand Office ninety seven days, I'd have been blown away. Not really possible then, though, right? That's right. Not, that's not fair. I mean, I, I think. But it's that's important. my point. It's like I think you got to think now, though. If if in that amount of time we've come this far in the in, in the equivalent amount of time. Who knows? Maybe we'll be able to video edit in a web page. All right. So I think you're on to something here. I, you know, I, I think it's pretty easy to, to, with hindsight, you know, do a litany of things Balmer did wrong, right? But let's be forward looking. So let's say, you know, Chris Fisher, you know, I'm Bill Gates. I'm calling you. Chris, bail me out. <laughs> you know, do it. January 1st, you're my man. Because he's burned out. He's leaving. You're you're it. You're the new CEO, and the board will leave you alone for five years. Right. Will not not question you. Nothing. I still feel like he failed to have pro- good product sense. I feel like he failed to control the board. I feel like he was very subservient to them, which is of course the way corporations are structured. But I, this is again back to my public private company problem. Right? Yeah, yeah. He was he. You know, he's in like Don Matrick before him. He, he's a very easy person to blame. But it takes more than one person to do these things. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, now, if you said that Bill Gates was stepping out as chairman of the board and that we were going to have a whole new board full of you know younger people who I – mean, it's not even an age thing, but people who – honestly, people who don't care about Windows as a brand. And I, cause I think you had a good point there. Hmm. People just said we have this very profitable tech company. How can we reinvent the market? And we don't we don't care about the old stuff, right? And I wonder if <clears throat> I mean if you think about it, you if they weren't trying to protect the Windows market, they probably would have released Office for iPad and Android by now, right? And so you can kind of see how they're protecting this old interest. So I feel like they shouldn't release Office or at all have released it for the iPhone or Android. But. Oh, did they release it for the iPhone? Yeah, but not for the iPad. That's where they drew the line. You can look at your doc on the go, but you may not edit doc on iPad. In fact, you can edit it. It's just weird. Yeah. That's fine. I'll just install Chrome and use Google Docs. I mean, the problem is, you know, you, I don't think you can have it both ways. Are you a software company or are you a platform company? No, they want to be like Apple and be a devices and services company. They want to have it just like Apple. But Apple's not. Apple's full of crap, right? If you want to tell me that Apple services are great, yeah. I mean, you, with the one exception of iTunes, which I still think maybe they that's must what be, they feel. Maybe they feel like they can do the services end better. You know, I, I yeah, but know. Google's already got you. Yep, right? exactly. 
And well, this is the Apple problem. Apple's problem is that Google can hire better designers faster than Apple can hire backend developers because there's a big cultural difference. Yeah, I do agree. Google is becoming better at doing Apple things than Apple is at doing Google things. However, uh, I was just using the iPhone over the weekend, and um, you you cannot deny that the Google apps on the iPhone are smoother. They run better. They look better. Uh, I don't know what it is about. I know what it is. So then, then they do on Android. Yeah, yeah. Because a, they're native, but they are native as well on Android. But iOS, this is this is not really the app developer's fault. iOS is a. Uh, it, it's it's the reason Google had to have Project Butter, right? The way it handles animations on the CPU is just better. Right, where everything just, on iOS right. is on a, like a three D canvas, right? It's like a it's like a. It's right. like a G- I, it's all I, GL, open GL. Oh, it's all open GL, and there's no virtual machines running. So I I I found myself using that iPhone, thinking, you know, if I if I took out all of the the corporate BS and I took out, I thought, right. you know, this is a really good experience. I think they do have a competitive offering there, and I, you know, I really you you don't have to use iCloud. You could use you know Google Voice and Google Calendar and, and Google in fact, Mail. You, you usually can't use iCloud. <laughs> oh, oh. So I think they've just like the same problem that Canonical has. Sort of bring this all back to circle all together. Same issue that Canonical has breaking into mobile, or the same some of the same problems that Microsoft has. Canonical and Microsoft. There you go. Mark Shuttleworth ought to head over to Canonical, or I mean to Micro. Mark Shuttleworth ought to head over to Microsoft and run Microsoft. Bring over the Canonical boys. Have the hardware resources and the software resources to build Ubuntu Touch, and there you go. There's the new product from Microsoft. <laughs> I just solved the problem. Negative in the freedom dimension. <laughs> so here's the other problem. It's really hard to tell what the next game changer is going to be because it's a game changer, right? Right. Like I'll be honest. First time I saw an iPad, I kind of like, oh, it's a, it's an iPod, great. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I did too. I totally poo-pooed the iPad. Now we have like uh, two of them in the house. Three if you consider the one I spilled uh, coffee on last week. Which I do. Doesn't work anymore though. Uh, all right. Well, any other con- any other closing thoughts before we run out of here, Mr. Dominic? No. I, I mean, I think we, we kind of didn't touch the developer story and all oh, of this crap. at all. Oh, man. You know, and I wanted to talk about the how this kind of translates into leadership roles for open source projects. Well, we have to. I have time if you have time. I don't know. I don't know if I do. Uh see, no. see Jupiter Broadcasting. It's, it's 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 that damn wife and kids. It is, and I and uh, although uh, I think uh, I haven't talked to Matt yet, so I don't know if it's going to work for him. But I think I'm going to move uh, Last Unplugged to Tuesdays, which would give me a little more room. Here. <gasps> so. Linux. See, this is the problem with Microsoft. Linux. Yep, it's a cancer, according to Bomber. Oh, I was going to say it, but I figured. A lot of the audience wouldn't remember that. Wait, 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 wait. That's not the right song. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I have two. Oh, that, by the way, this is the uh, special ad music that I got for us. But then we didn't really use it. It's pretty good, though, right? It's catchy. Very nice. It reminds yeah. me of Windows Vista. It's called Throwing Fire from Mr. Ronald Jenkins. It reminds you of Windows Vista. Computer, what happened? No, no. All right, Mr. Dominical, where should people find you throughout the week? They should find me at Microsoft.evangelist.com. I'm mean, oh, crap. <laughs> I <laughs> know uh, they should find me at dominicm.com. Boom. We got links to the G plus profile that he stopped using as well as his Twitter account, which <laughs> is still active in the show notes as, as well as links to mine. And uh, don't forget Coder radio is live on Mondays at 9am Pacific noon Eastern over jblive.tv and jblive.info for the audio email is Coder radio at jupiterbroadcasting.com or pop that contact link at the top of our website or start a thread in our subreddit coderradio.reddit.com. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Coder radio. We'll see you right back here next week.